You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 479, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwader. How's it going, Brittany? Oh, it's going quite well. I'm coming off of a four-day weekend. I have a ton of work ahead of me, but I'm really glad that I was able to take the time to record with you, Nick. I was very lucky that I did not hit my Twitter rate limit over the weekend because I (laughs) saw all of the Brighton tweets coming out. And I'm so curious, like, how was the conference for you? Yeah, it's amazing. I realized that for the last four years, I've been commencing abuse upon myself with conferences by only going to ones that are like eight time zones away when like one of the best in the world is in the same country as me in the same time zone. And it's like I was, by the way, listener, I was there and it's pretty surreal to like just literally get there in 65 minute flight, 28 minute train directly from the airport. So no transfers to a train station. And then like have the best conference ever. My biggest emotion I could say coming out of it is like regret for any year. I think there's generally like family holidays is what happened because of the fourth and stuff. But yeah, this is me for life now. It was really, really good, Brittany. I love that it's you for life. That is just so great. We've had Andy on a couple of times to talk about how he approaches the conference. Is it everything that you expected? I don't know how to describe it. The one way, if you've never been there, And I know Andy will probably listen to this someday. But if you've never been there, I've been to some of the ones that are like a thousand person Ruby-ish conference. I've been to some of the ones that are like a 40 person, like Brittany, you and I met at Isle of Ruby, which was 18 speakers, 20, 30 attendees. And each one has their strengths. But my one liner for Brighton is it leverages the best of both. You go in and you really get to know people and have a real community feel like I've seen people that I just know right from around the area that I didn't even know were going there. And it felt very personal. And since it's a single track, single day, you have the same shared experience. So you know, they've seen the talks you've seen, but it also has the elegance and quality of just such a top tier conference at the same time, right? Brighton Dome is, you know, I feel weird talking about this and I kind of wish we could just have Andy giving his riff and take, because he's been doing it for 10 years. Would we be able to try and just give Andy a call? I think it might be his lunch break. That's a great idea. Let's go ahead and give him a call now. All right. Let me get my phone out and we'll, I think we can patch him into the computer. Just a second. Okay. It's ringing. Hello? New phone. Who dis? Hey, Andy, it's Nick. And it's not just me. I got someone here with me just calling you for a sec. We were... Recording the Ruby on Rails podcast that you may have heard about me and Brittany here. And we would love to just, I know you're probably really busy after Brighton Ruby, but would love to talk to you about for a couple of minutes. Are you free to kind of come on and chat for a bit? It's after Brighton Ruby, so I'm really not busy in comparison to how I was last week. So uh, I've got all the time in the world for you lovely people. First question, what socks are you wearing today? I am actually wearing Brighton Ruby socks. Me too. (laughs) Okay, tell me about these socks. I'm feeling the FOMO, guys. Right. So I like to do swag that is useful and not throwaway. So ideally not terrible ecologically. So I've done like coffee cups before. I've done little coasters before. I've done packs of cards. And this year I thought it was about time I got on the socks bandwagon. So I had some socks custom designed and sent over from the factory. They got lost on the way. They were packed in the wrong boxes. I then mislabeled some. So I spent much of last week looking at the ends of toes of socks to work out what size out of the three different sizes that I had ordered 
well, what? And then printing out labels and sticking them on. So uh, I basically abused the audience by yelling at them that they had to love my socks. So I just don't want to hear if no one did, but they are quite nice. And they're actually surprisingly comfortable. So yeah, that was this year's swag was these delightful socks. It was definitely a theme of the conference, a recurring theme (laughs) of just loving the socks. It's like, if you know about the socks, you were there. That's like the test to see, but they were great. And we appreciate, I'm glad that you uploaded on the socials kind of the picture of state. Because I think you're maybe mid, either just after the socketing, oh, yeah. packing the socks, but it's cool. I like that you gave that. I'm sure you're really busy at that time, but just a little snapshot into your world like 36 hours before. I was, yeah, I was just, um, just decom- I was just yelling into the void. That's what social media is for. So uh, yeah, that's what I did. I posted a picture of my office covered in just conference crap. And it was just everything everywhere all at once. So yeah, that's just what life is like the week before. It's always inverted commas fun in the hours before things happen. Absolutely. And you gave some really good looking back at the history and the logos of Bright and Ruby. And I think folks, it's been around and I think people tend to take things for granted that have been around a while, even though it's such a local and labor of love and all your work. And we really like, I can't say how much I appreciate the work you put into this, but one little story that I don't have, because I know Brittany's very good, like with asking about origin stories. I actually don't really know the origin story for Brighton Ruby Zero. And I'd be really interested if you have a moment to kind of talk about how we went from no Brighton Ruby in the universe to Brighton Ruby in the universe, if you don't mind. So actually, it starts with me having a beer in Singapore with the Singapore Ruby group. I used to live in Singapore. We moved out there for my wife's job and I was working in, I was working with Pivotal Labs at that point. So we were in the Pivotal Labs office in Singapore. And I was having a beer and I was like, and I was super bitter about the lack of local conferences over there. And so I said to everyone, oh, it'd be really great if we had like a regional conference out here. I mean, Matt's is in Japan. And they were like, well, you know, you should definitely do that, Andy. And so I emailed Matt's and then Matt said yes. <laughs> and so then I had to organize a conference. And so I organized a couple of Red Dot Ruby comps in Singapore. And then when my wife was pregnant with our twins, we moved back to the UK and I didn't know anyone because I'd started my Ruby career in Singapore. So I didn't have any network in the UK. And I thought that the best way to build a network of people to find work from or support from was with 18-month-old twins to organize Ruby Conference. So I did that because I have no concept of what's good for me. That was 2013, I booked the venue. And then 2014, we had the first one. So I've been sort of the organization game in the UK for 10 years. What was the first venue for Brighton? So the first venue was the same venue, Brighton Dome, but they have different size rooms. So they have a small room that takes about 100 and something people. And so they've been rebuilding that half of the dome with the two smaller rooms in it for the last four or five years. But that first year was 130-ish people. I sort of posted to LRUG, the London Ruby User Group mailing list, and managed to get enough people to come to make it viable, sort of 100 and something people. And then every year I've just taken what I did the last year, made it slightly better, refactored, just kept going. Because <laughs> again, I still don't know what's good for me. The only reason I ask is like, if you haven't physically been there, I think I uploaded possibly to Twitter, just like a 360 of me mic'd up before they let everyone in. And that is some venue. It's where for the Europeans where ABBA apparently won Eurovision on that stage, didn't know yep. that which is like for the Europeans, big deal. It's hard to explain the layers to <laughs> well, America. I- I have another one of like, so David Bowie, I never know. Yeah. He's apparently had a lifetime ban from the Dome because when he played the Dome, he encouraged the audience to tear up the seats. 
So uh, what? So if you walk around the dome, there's like bits and pieces on the wall about the history of the venue. I mean, the history of the venue was originally it was for horses for the king. So the main room we were in was a stables and the room off to the side that I think we used for 2017 or 2018. That room was the sort of horse trotting area. I don't know what that's actually called for actual horse people. People who ride horses would know what that was called. So originally it was for horses and then it was used as a hospital in the Second World War. Yeah, it's it's been all sorts of things. And it's just an exceptional spot because I've been very lucky to have given a couple of talks in my life. And I did speak at this conference very gratefully that you had me. But, you know, they also said like, okay, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon was on that stage. And to stand there, like I've been to conferences where it's like, I'm not dissing anything. Conferences are amazing, but, you know, like a hotel and it's a room and it's got the little slidey wall thingies with the little wheels and the projector and stuff. I'm like, oh, no, this is like for gigging. I'm speaking and it is a good number there as well. So I didn't really see gaps in the seats. And it's just, oh, there were definitely gaps in the seats. <laughs> I didn't see them, though, because the venue can hold like an insane number. And that's why you're able to be like, hey, we didn't sell out because like your capacity is like insane in there, right? Yeah. And that, that's part of it, right? So it's a performance venue, which is partially why I'm able to run it every year, mostly on my own. I have a bunch of folks who help me on the day. And obviously my family and wife helped me support me in the weeks before. But the venue are not scared of me. I'm like the most basic thing to them. Oh. So like they're not worried. And there's certain things that I would prefer had gone better this year in terms of just things like amounts of coffee and being in the right place and making sure everyone's got enough water and moving people in and out of the venue. We were much, much bigger this year than we ever have been before. And Congratulations, by the way. I don't know <laughs> what your numbers were in the past, right? So I just walked in. I'm like, this is what Andy does. This is how it is. We were about... 25% bigger than we've ever been. So we were about 500 folks in the venue this year. We've been about 340-ish before in our biggest years. Yeah, so it was quite the number of people. And yeah, like, like you say, like the venue itself, that room holds 1,700, but the way that we can configure it, we can move the stage forward. So it takes several rows out. We don't use the ashtray as I think of it in the top, and we try and encourage folks to come down. So it's actually quite a nice room between about three and it seems 500, where it doesn't feel like everyone's crammed in, but it also it doesn't feel empty, which is kind of the most important thing. And that's partially to do with the lighting of it being a performance venue. You know, in a big, brightly lit venue, you would see all of the gaps at the back and you'd see people coming in and out. But because it's a performance venue, you get lighting delivered by the AV folks, and that makes a real difference, I think. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Monitoring, like web development, can be complicated. There are tons of tools and techniques, but you just want to know that your app is up and running and that your customers are happy. When your customers encounter a problem, you need clear, actionable intelligence, not walls of charts and reams of logs to tail. That's why we built Honey Badger, the monitoring tool we have always wanted. A tool that's where you need it, when you need it, and it gets out of your way when you don't, so you can keep shipping. With Honey Badger, you can know when critical errors occur and which customers are affected. You can respond instantly when your systems go down. You can improve the health of your systems over time. And of course, fix problems before your customers can report them. Honey Badger is the application health monitoring tool built for you, the developer who cares about a quality product and happy customers. Start monitoring today at honeybadger.io. Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Once again, that is honeybadger.io. Link is in the show notes. So 
So we've had several episodes just with regional conferences and just like this renewed interest in conferences, which is so great. So Andy, do you have any idea, you know, of the attendees that came, how many are returning to Brighton? How many have never been to a Ruby conference at all and who are going to Brighton for the first time? Gosh, it's a real mix. I do ask in my intro at the beginning of the day, I get people to stand up and wave at me. And there's, I think, a couple of folks who've been to all of them. And then, I mean, you saw it, Nick, there was approximately 40% had never been to a Brighton Ruby before. Which um, included me, right? Which, which included you. So you got a high five from someone who had been before. And it's difficult to know from that audience that, you know, I have my feedback forms currently out for attendees. So I am hearing back from people who said that was my first ever Ruby conference and it was great. Or that was my first ever Ruby conference and I'm never going to one again, you monster. Yeah, it's a real mix. And I do a fair bit of going into boot camps in the UK and speaking to the batches as they graduate to sort of induct them somewhat into our Ruby-ish way of thinking. So I know a bunch of folks come in from that angle. Plus, I suppose with the Ruby friend thing, if they're a UK or Europe-based Ruby friend mentees, hopefully they're encouraged to come to Brighton Ruby. It's difficult to say. And that's always the thing I've wondered about the big comps as well. So, you know, whenever I'm at a RailsConf or a RubyConf and they say, put your hand up if it's your first ever Ruby or RailsConf, and invariably it's somewhere around a third to a half. Now, whether that's because they're new to the community or because going to a conference can be quite an expensive thing, or maybe your employer doesn't support you in going to those things. So yeah, it's difficult to tell. But looking around the room, there was a good spread of all sorts of humans, I would say. So different ages, different genders people whose faces I recognise, even if I don't know their names, and from coming have become good friends of mine. So yeah, a real mixture. And hopefully the content of the day, even though it's a single track, supports those different types of folks. Well, I want to give you some credit for some cheeky marketing that you did, because obviously the Rails World tickets went on sale like the week ahead of Brighton, and they sold out within 45 minutes. And the fact that you tweeted out hey, you want to go to a European conference that is not sold out? I was just, that was just so on the money, Andy. I loved that for you. It felt very Oreos during the Super Bowl when the lights went out. One of the best things about the sort of the European Ruby scene is the volume of conferences that have popped up this year. And it's not just Rails World. I mean, things like Friendly RB and Swiss RB and obviously there'll be a Euroco. So there's all sorts of great stuff happening. And I felt that when I was fortunate to speak at Yuruko last year. And part of the Yuruko thing is that they do pitches for the conferences for next year's conference and it gets voted in. And so I went up to pitch Brighton Ruby, but instead of pitching Brighton Ruby, I got up and I said, don't pick me. I'm already going to do it. Start your own thing. And I do know that at least one of those conferences was like someone going, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, of course we bloody can. There was definitely an atmosphere in the room at the Yuruko conference that was like, yeah, we're back. This is great. And there's so much strength in depth and breadth in the European Ruby community that I don't think I even have a true sense of, but there's definitely like my gut says it's there and there's a lot of excitement and a lot of sort of grassroots stuff happening with smaller comps. But I think it's just a huge positive that all of these conferences are happening and you should definitely go to Friendly or Rock Love or any of the others really. There's so many good opportunities to get out there and meet and make new Ruby friends. Makes me think of two things. One, I have a better insight to Europe than I do in the States these days. And I'd say Ruby is alive and well in Europe. I've been here just long enough to feel like I've been through a couple eras of Ruby and just seeing the excitement. So I was there at Yuruko as well. And yeah, you could feel like, and maybe there's a bit of like, not too long after COVID, everyone's like, oh, we're out finally. But then with what you've said about 
Brighton as well. And it's so interesting that you didn't call it UK RubyConf. You didn't call it like some Western Europe. You didn't claim anything but yeah on Brighton because you've said the numbers. I don't know if other conferences publish their numbers, but I'm aware of what they are. And you're not in the tier of regional conf in my mind. You know what I'm saying? So, this, Even though you, you have the name of a much city, <laughs> the name of a city in your conf, right? Oh, look, it's the Ruby conf that's in this town in England. As far as like impact, it is the same or greater than some of the other names that I don't call out. I'm not a negative person. I'm just saying you are, I'm lifting up Brighton is I'm trying to establish more FOMO because just what you need more next year. Is yeah, I mean, more yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, my nightmares can be proportionally larger next year. Honestly, I think we'll be back down again next year. I think there's a certain amount of the large numbers of this year's event that were down to post-pandemic enthusiasm. Plus last year, because I booked last year's venue in 2021 and I didn't know how much appetite there was going to be in the summer of 2022 to go out into the world and see folks. But it turns out that programmers actually do like each other. And so when I had a venue last year for 150 folks, that sold out really, really fast. And I broke it up into different chunks to give people a chance to go if they missed the first set. And then I think this year is really the downstream effects of that pandemic break plus a smaller event last year. So I'm fully expecting it to be more like a usual size next year. I'd love to be proven wrong because when I sell more tickets, I can do more fun stuff. We'll see. And I, and I genuinely have no idea. But the other thing that I think we haven't quite touched on is not just with Pandemic and Ruby, but with tech at the moment, you only see the numbers about layoffs. But another big, big thing that like even if you companies don't have layoffs is they're trimming budget. And a very easy place to trim is sending your employees thousands of miles to go to a conference. For example, people who might be in the UK who could have easily two years ago gone to all the North American conferences are limited. And that goes for the continent as well. So Helvetic, Ruby, Switzerland, Rocklove. Ruby Day, Italy, Paris RB. So now you're like, okay, I live in a country that has a Ruby conference. I can get around my country on my own dime. I can get to Brighton on my own dime. Very like it's surprisingly affordable compared to some of these transatlantic voyages, right? And I think, and you're seeing a couple in America, like Blue Ridge popped up this year. So it's really as an empathetic thing for the developer. The number is smaller than ever that like people would be getting approval for corporate travel. So it's good that we have these close to people, right? Yeah. And I think that's part of keeping the ticket price down as well. Like shouldn't be that the ticket price is scary to people. Like my ticket price is like 129 quid, including VAT. So for the majority of the period tickets are on sale, they're at that cheaper price. And then I punch them up at the end just because it gets more annoying for me if people buy tickets late. So earlier is better. And I think a lot of the European conferences are similarly priced. It's also, it's a one-day conference, right? So when you have the longer conferences, there's all of the associated costs go up. In theory, if you live in London or certainly in the Southeast or even the Southwest of the UK, you can get to Brighton Ruby and home that day if that's what you want to do. I don't recommend it because you'll be wrecked. You can, in theory, you can drive to Brighton, you can get a train. We're on the line from London to Gatwick to Brighton is the main train line. So you can do it that day, or you can stay over the night before and go home that evening, or you can come the morning of and get home the following morning. So there's ways to make it cheaper. And that's a benefit of where my city is. So I'm fortunate in that respect. And going to European Ruby conferences is going to be cheaper. There's lots of short hop airlines in the same way that there is in the continental US. One thing that I wanted to ask about is I saw some really stunning photography come out of Brighton. Was that just a very 
talented audience member because I want to get into Nick's talk. It just looked very exciting, Nick. So who was taking those photos? Yes, it was a talented amateur. Wow. (laughs) Because I sold so many tickets, I was able to do stuff I've not done before. So the videos this year will be better because I was able to engage a slightly larger video crew and they had they brought like five cameras they went wild they got brought like five cameras and so there's going to be more fun video stuff eventually when i'm trying to sell tickets for next year and i'll put the videos on the site i had a photographer as well which is the first time i've done that because i always forget to take pictures like i'm on the stage and i literally have it in my presenter notes to take a picture of the audience and i forget every time so i paid someone to do it this year so there will be even more excellent photos of the day hopefully i never remember to get a photo of myself speaking I only have like one in my entire life that I like at all. And then all of a sudden I open up Twitter and there's this couple of great photos that have me in them, which is shocking. And I go in and say, oh, amazing photo. And this person says, oh, there'll be a Google Drive later today. There'll be more. And I looked at their bio and it said like CTO of BBC Maestro. And I'm like, oh, this is a community member who is taking the pictures excellently. Yeah. Bloody love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think it is good to like talk about the talks for a minute. I think you did such a good job booking because again, for folks, so I just want to do a contrast multi-day conference. I'll let you know a Nick bit of shame. If it's a three-day multi-track conference, I would almost take one slot a day and go to my room and lay down because it's chat, chat, chat. And I go to my room and lay down. But with a one-day track and the way that you time things, I know it's one day. I just have to be here one day. And I took something from every single talk that you booked. I really resonated and something still kicking around in my head from every single talk. It's not like favorites or anything, but like I just wanted to say very well booked talks as well. Obviously, the closer, Joe Hart, I believe it's Joe Hart, right? Yeah, Joe Hart, yeah. Comedian as well. So it's performed at Edinburgh. So again, this double life, like with your photographer, Joe Hart's performed at the Fringe in Edinburgh, like the world's largest comedy conference many years and brought that, but had like that vibe tuned to like his craft, which is engineering as well. So yeah. was able to tune that entire performance to us as an audience, which is a great way to wrap up the conference, I think. Yeah, he's closed for me in a previous year. I consider him to be an honorary Rubyist. He's in the front end crowd, but in the sort of the fun front end crowd. Actually, the front end crowd I originated in, sort of like the web standardy HTML, CSS crowd. And he's just a delight. He's so comfortable on stage that when things go wrong, which they invariably do because he's building massive multiplayer games that everyone gets to play in the room, and he just delights in it all going chaotically wrong, which is different kind of live coding than you would normally see when it goes wrong. Like He's giggling away when an audience of engineers start messing with his code. He loves that. So it was, yeah, it's a really lovely way to finish off, particularly it's like I try and do it so some of the harder talks are in the morning, some of the sort of more, the grittier technology talks, like you don't want to put a really gritty technology talk immediately after lunch. Ideally, you want to leave people smiling at the end of the day. So that's very much how I try and organize the schedule. Also, lightning talks were well-organized. They were pre-booked. There were five of them. They were pre-loaded, vetted, which is unique, I think, for your conference. Maybe some others do it. But like the quality was insane, right? So we, like one individual did 20 years of Ruby with one Ruby program and like everything that you'd have to change to get it to run over 20 years. More production in their slides than mine, I believe, like is really good. That's partly also what I'm able to offer to a single day conference. I have been in the slides of the majority of the speakers, including the Lightning Talks, either their talks that they've given before and I just happen to have been part of the production process of those or 
for people who were new to speaking or it was their first talk, I offer as part of the service, me getting in their slides and helping them organize and saying, you can drop that bit or why don't you get to this bit quicker? Or if you're going to do some singing, Tim. (laughs) Yeah, Tim sang, Tim Riley. Tim Riley sang. If you're going to do a bit, commit to it and open with the singing. To give you an example, like he sent me a video of his talk as how he was planning to do it. So he'd done most of the talk and he sent me this really polite email going, now I'm not sure if this is really what you're looking for. I I can take the singing out if you want. And I was like, mate, if you want to do singing, whack it straight up the front. And are you brave enough to just open with your voice on the stage with music? And he was, so good on him. (laughs) As much as I can help people refine their talks, because as the organizer, I don't want someone to struggle on stage or to be under-practiced or to not feel confident that their talk's going to go down well. So I do that work before the conference. And hopefully that makes it a bit smoother on the day for the speakers involved and they can feel a bit more confident. So Nick, how did your talk go? Thanks for asking. It went fantastic. Note to what Andy said. Andy was helpful even to me up until the last minutes and even during. I'd had a customized briefcase I'd fashioned at home for a few ideas for a few bits. And I trialed out an idea of going from just technical to a bit of whimsy in March of 22 at Sin City Ruby, which wasn't recorded, so I could experiment. And then with this talk, I thought, I know a fair few people there. Andy's great. Andy likes Ruby. I think I can get away with having a bit of fun. So I'm going to have fun. And the topic is about Scarpe, which I'm building. So I felt confident in that domain, just yakking about it. Guys, I like talking to Andy minutes before, like, should I put my briefcase here? Or should? He's like, no, put it here, then do this. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what we'll do with this briefcase. Okay. And then we'll recall back to it later when I need this. I'm not going to spoil it. Those bits. It was really well. The audience was about as warm as you could imagine. It was well-placed. Eileen Ushatel was just before me. And so we had a really good balance between us. I felt like I really fit into the day well. And I just kind of told a story. And really 24, 25 minutes about it is just about software and how we take things from our brain and put them into a computer as an absolute beginner and how that's kind of a pure state. And then it's only in the last five or six minutes that I kind of open up about Scarpe and what we're doing with our new implementation, because I don't think that's the point. When you see a cool application, you don't need to know like the lines of code. You just think the thing in the universe is great and the DSL is great. So uh, honestly, I felt very free on the stage. I'm definitely going to be a walker from now on. It was really good to move on the stage and having watched Joe walk on the stage, I could see as an audience member, there is something very inviting. As Andy says, some of us are lectern grabbers. Some of us, we have all our vibe. For me, I am definitely enjoyed the movement in the room of the stage and interacting with the slides, actually pointing to them and things like that. We opened our Discord up. We more than, I didn't tell you this, Andy, doubled or tripled our membership that hour. You're welcome. (laughs) I can actually say it because I've it's joinscarpe.schwa.org. If you go there today, folks, this might be out in time. July 26 to 29, we're having a hackathon for the whole world. Our theme is music. So we're going to be making music related programs. And we have a lot of interesting ideas if you go to the Hack Days channel. Sorry, that's my plug. But yeah, it was incredibly effective. And Andy, the number of people who just really seemed to click and like came up and talked to me, this isn't about me. This is about the topic and the area and the interest. People were really into it, like just would 
talk and I didn't know who they were. And they just come up and really wanted to talk about either they hadn't heard of shoes or maybe they'd used shoes before they'd used rails to build desktop applications and just the history and the story. And boy, I loved it so much. It's like, I don't know if I'll give that talk again. I think it's one and done. Had a great time. I don't know if I'll even watch it. Have you ever had that where the memory's so good you don't want to watch it back because it's just yes. such a lovely place in your brain? So there you go. It was the most fun I've ever had giving a talk by a country mile. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Brittany will be linking up those discords in the show notes for you. All. Oh, yes. Of course. I'm a professional. Of course I am. <laughs> so, Andy, 10 years of Bright and Ruby, are you going to continue doing it? Because every conference I talk to, they're always like, I've had people advising me. Of course, Andy Kroll from Bright and Ruby. I hear this all the time, which I think you could literally spend all your time, I think, just advising Ruby conferences at this point. But, you know, for you, in terms of longevity, What are you thinking? I mean, advising Ruby conferences full time sounds like a really weird side hobby. Would be, but it seems like you have it. So many work adjacent side hobbies that I've got that are very strange indeed. I'm just going to keep going. I think if I was going to get off the horse, I would have done it after the pandemic. But it turns out there is still the demand. It's a really nice thing for me, not obviously in the actual execution of it, but to have done is there's still new people coming. Some folks who've it's become a part of their year. Like whilst there isn't another Ruby conference, a big one in the UK, not certainly not one that's run more than once or twice. And certainly the Isle of Ruby folks and Simon from Bath Ruby aren't going to run them again, I don't think. So whilst there isn't another one, I'll just keep doing it. If there is another one, then maybe there's an excuse for me not to do it one year. But I honestly really enjoy the first beer after I'm done for the day. Honestly, that feels amazing. I like to be amongst my folks, right? Like the people who come The warmth that Nick identified is definitely something that's there. There is something different about a Ruby crowd. There really is. Warm, open, happy to listen to things that may not start out being obviously useful to them, but then have an impact down the line, right? That's part of what we do. And the quality of talks that we can give in our community is just at such a higher level than most places. I do go to conferences in other parts of the tech industry, and they're all a little bit more straightforward. You might get like Joe Hart's not from our community, but he fits perfectly. You just get more fun stuff, a Ruby or a RailsConf, I think. So I'm going to keep on doing it until people tell me they don't want to come by not buying tickets. The first year I lose money, like I generally break even and I'm able to do a little bit with some of the money that I do make. I'm able to do stuff with as long as I don't lose money, because that's a very different conversation to have with my spouse. So you did all of that work and now we're poorer. Cool. (laughs) So that's not a conversation I want to have more than one year ever. So far, so good. Well, how about you personally? Because post-pandemic, I swear you went to almost every single Ruby and Rails conference. Like, What does the rest of the year look like for you? That was not deliberate. Last year was an accident. Didn't mean to help Gemma and Emily with RubyConf Mini. That was entirely an accident. I like to get to the big US stuff as much as I can. As Nick said, like it's quite a commitment both in terms of time and cash. I do have a ticket for Railsworld and I'm on the waiting list for the rest of my team to get tickets to that. I'm just literally going through Yuruko talk submissions as part of the program committee there, which I accidentally volunteered for, which has landed this week. They're not accidents. I volunteer for these things, but I don't think about the consequences. So I don't know if I'll get to Yuruko as well. It just comes down to the amount of times I can go. 
and leave the family to survive without me. I am useful at home. So that's my major constraint is the same as everyone. It's the cost and the time away from home. But I'll keep going to stuff. It's fun. Okay. The last question that I want to put out there is you mentioned that you always want to make sure you go to the big US stuff. Do you see a world where the big US stuff is no longer the top things that you need to go to and everyone starts to be more concentrated in Europe and Japan? Oh, I don't know, honestly. I think there's a place for all kinds of different events right? and maybe mm-hmm. some of the bigger US events, so the RailsConf, the RubyConf, they maybe look a bit different or because they have the larger budgets, maybe you could do a road show or you could do there's certain music festivals in the UK where they have dual site strategy. So like they'll run them on the same day. It's the same weekend, but the Sunday and Saturday lineups will switch and they'll change places for the people speaking. Or they'll maintain headliners for two or three weekends or days in a row or something like that. So there's other ways to do those bigger events. I'm just delighted that the smaller ones keep going. I still consider myself to be a smaller one, even though there were 500 people there this time which is terrifying. I don't really want it to get any bigger. My concern this year was that it wouldn't feel like a Brian Ruby because there were so many people. But all it was is it was just harder to get people in and out of the room because there's just more bodies. And it still felt Brian Ruby-ish. And that's kind of the thing. I don't want it ever to feel massive and unwieldy because that's not my personal taste. And I think, yeah, the single track, the single place, the speakers don't disappear, which can happen at the bigger ones with multi-day conferences. Like Everyone needs a day off. One thing that I've taken from just knowing you, Andy, because I've seen you around like the conference life and socials and stuff and seeing this and maybe it's there's a similar vibe in like Joe's talk and some of these other ones is whether it's with your code or with what your time or what you're doing, but kind of create what you want to exist in the world. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly why Brighton Ruby is how it is, because it's the conference I want to go to. Like you say, you get that beer at the end, you're like, okay, you have the overhead and the energy, but we're so grateful for. But Brighton Ruby now exists and it's in your town. And it's amazing because you want an amazing conference in your town, in the dome. And you get to put your touch as somebody who is like a consumer of conferences and loves them. You have your own taste for like works and you're able to put that out. So we're grateful. And I'd say for the listeners, similarly, it's not, hey, start a conference or meetup. That's great. But that also goes for your code or whatever. If you find yourself wanting something in the universe, make it. And it will, maybe it'll impact some other people or you'll just grow a bit through the process as well, right? So. Absolutely. Well, we got very lucky that we were able to phone up Andy and he was available to come onto the show today. Imagine that. Imagine that you were able to get me on just by calling me on this website. Don't break up the fantasy, Andy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) But... Congratulations on another successful conference. Nick, congratulations on another successful talk. I'm so eager to see it. It was great to talk with you two today and see you at the next conference. Pleasure. See you soon, Brittany. See you soon, Nick. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.